Hello and welcome, my friend, to the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. It is my honor to have you here with us today. I am just beyond happy to have our guest today. You will absolutely love her. If you don't know her already, she is kind of a legend in Minnesota gardening and horticulture world. Mary Shear is here with us today. And a few weeks ago, the USDA put out a new map for hardiness zones, and it caused quite the stir in the horticultural world, gardening, TikTok, and Instagram, that whole realm of things. And Mary is here today to explain what the whole thing means and how it's important to you and why you need to pay attention to what you should do with the new hardiness maps or not do in that case, as it were with the new USDA hardiness maps. So today I have a gem of an episode for you with Mary Shear on hardiness maps in Minnesota. All right. Hello and welcome everyone to the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. I'm honored to have a great, great guest with us today who has or at least had her own podcast that is wonderful that I'll make sure to mention you can listen to as well. But we've got Mary Shear here with us today. And this last, I don't know, probably two weeks ago or so, the USDA delivered new hardiness maps, which had massive changes here in Minnesota. I wanted Mary did a really great article and talked about it uh, a bunch. And so I just wanted to bring her on the Minnesota Gardening Podcast and uh, talk about that. So Mary, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, happy to be here. So Mary, let's do a little intro first. You've got a really great blog that you have. You've got Grow at Minnesota as a podcast that you stopped uh, updating last year, but all the episodes are still there so people can go back and watch it. It's I highly, not watch it, listen to it. It's highly recommend that. And then also have uh, a really great book. So what's would you give folks your background and where, where you come from? Yeah, sure. I have been a longtime gardener. You know, my first garden was at age 26, which was a long time ago, but I still have been gardening for many, many years. And then I've been an editor at Northern Gardener Magazine. I've just retired, actually, from that job. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I have My Northern Garden, which is my blog, MyNorthernGarden.com. I wrote a book called The Northern Gardener, From Apples to Zinnias, which came out in 2017. And then I did the podcast for a while for Grow Up Minnesota. So love to talk about gardening, as you could tell. Yeah, wonderful. And so I, you're, I just want to also highlight your book is wonderful. I've got a copy of it back here. It's just really great for and specific to our climate, which you don't find very often. You don't find enough things that really help our climate and, and our changing climate as well, which leads us directly into the hardiness map. So before we get too far into it, just for people who are newbies, can you explain what the hardiness maps are and why they're important? Right. So the hardiness zone maps are issued now by the USDA, Agriculture Research Service. And they have desi- divided the U.S. into, I think, 13 zones based on cold temperatures. So there's also a heat hardiness zone map, but we don't really care about that because it doesn't matter for us. But the cold hardiness zone maps divide the the country into these zones based on the lowest average low that the area has during the winter. And then you merge that with how much of a low can plants handle. So you'll see when you buy a plant, it'll say hardy to zones four to nine or zones five to, to eight or whatever. So that's that's what it is. And is that a problem? 
Nope, it's all fine. We're we're not that serious <laughs> about things. We are all good. Okay, so it divides up to. I'll I'll start again. So it divides it up into these zones, but and then the plant companies do testing of new plants that they're introducing to see how cold that plant will survive. And in our area, I mean, it's relevant for things like perennial plants, you know, perennial flowers and shrubs and trees. Obviously, annuals. It doesn't matter because you know you're only. It's only going to last one year. At all, ever. So it's so that's it. It's related to how cold it gets and how much plants can survive in that cold. Now the Got zones. It. I'll give you a quick history of the zones if you want. I mean, the zones yeah, have been yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, since 1927, the Arnold Arboretum <laughs> did the first zone map, which is affiliated with Harvard, and that was only eight zones. Then in 1935, the Arboretum, the Arnold Arboretum, updated that with 30 years of weather data, but from 450 weather stations around the country. So relatively small number of weather data points that they used to divide it up. In 1960s, the USDA got involved, but the two maps didn't talk to each other right. So most people stuck with the 1935 map until 1990, when the USDA looked at 15 years or 13 years of data from many, many more weather points and came up with the 1990 map, which a lot of people didn't really like. And remember this, all of these older maps are using, you know, hand calculations and, you know, this is not computer stuff or, or, or internet stuff. So they're not the same level of data we're getting now. 2012, they did a 30-year map. So they looked at the last 30 years before 2012. And from that came up with the 2012 hardiness zone map. And then we've been updated to 2023 now, which uses much better technology, much finer distinctions among the zones, and many, many more points of data than they had before. So the map is in some ways more accurate, but I I think it's also a little bit more dangerous in terms of people thinking I'm in a hardier zone than I am. Oh, interesting. So tell me, why do you say that? Why do you think it's more dangerous of people feeling like uh, they're in in a warmer zone than they are? Well, just because the the data points are so fine, um, people that are very close to each other will be in different zones. So you live in Shakopee, mm-hmm. and you're in Zone 5A in the new map. Mm-hmm. But Chaska, which is I'm not that far from you, is Zone 4B. Uh, the city of White Bear Lake, you know, very nice suburb in the northeastern corner of the Twin Cities, has three zip codes that are for White Bear Lake. Two of them are Zone 5A, and one of them is Zone 4B. Now, the weather in those in White Bear Lake is not that different, but there are little microclimates. So maybe if you're closer to the lake, it's warmer or cooler. I'm not sure which it would be, but you know, there's these little microclimates. And so those are being caught by the data, but I don't know that means you're fully in zone 5A, if you know what I mean. There's, there's yeah. some, you know, weather can you know things can go south and it depends or north it depends on how the plant you have will handle those variations in the weather right so how 
Uh, so we'll get into the broad strokes of the changes in just a little bit, but let's talk about like the usefulness of this data. So like in, in business and economy, there's like uh, a general theory around paralysis by analysis kind of thing where uh, there's just way too much data to be, to make it useful and to be able to handle it and, and to be able to make it work in the real world. Do you like, there are, for example, in central, like, Dakota County, there's like a little spot that's 4A in the new map within a whole bunch of 5A. And I have no idea how that I tried to compare it to uh, satellite images to see if there was something different there. And I couldn't see any, any real differences in it. So how like, how useful does this information like I went from 4B to 5A, like you said, here in Shakopee, but just south of Shakopee is still 4B. And so how how real is this information for people to be able to use? Is it just kind of like a permission slip to be able to say, Hey, as long as you, as long as you want to try something, give it a shot. Or is it more of a, this is real data that we can use and bank on? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it is, it is, it is real data, of course, but you have to be understand how plant hard, how plants are rated for hardiness. And I'll just take a note on that, that spot in Dakota County. I live in Dakota County in the northern part in Egan. And that spot is where I have my community garden. <laughs> and I don't know why. I think it's a little lower. You know, and, and again, these are so, such fine distinctions. So that area might be a little lower. It's a little more, there's less tar and, you know, we got a lot of parking lots near where I live and that's going to heat things up. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's these little distinctions that'll cause the, the map to say, well, this area is actually colder than, than that area. But in terms of usefulness, I mean, it gives you an idea of what your, you know, how your, how plants are going to behave in your area, but not necessarily in your garden, because they're all so, you know, there's microclimates in everybody's garden. You know, you might have an area that's got some walls around it and it gets sun, and that's a little warmer in the winter and maybe warmer in the summer, or you might have a low-lying area that the cold settles into, and so that's a little cooler. And, you know, these are, again, very fine distinctions. If you're going to use a zone five plant, and I have zone five plants planted around our, we live actually in a townhouse right now, and I have some zone five plants planted around our townhouse because I know this is a warmer area and they're doing fine, you know, but, but it's, but it is just very much based on, you know, your own climate, your own personal microclimate. But it does give you a good idea of what you might consider. Got it. Yeah. So let's talk about the the larger throughout the state of Minnesota and upper Midwest. Like what what general or however specific you'd like to be changes were were made in the map from the ten years ago to today. Right. So so the biggest change is that 10 years ago, I'm going to get, actually, I'm looking at something so I'm accurate. So 10 years ago, the Twin Cities was rated as zone 4A. So that's the warmest part of zone four. And um, that mean, and it was from the Twin Cities up to uh, just south of St. Cloud, at, excuse me, zone 4B, which is the warmer part of zone four. And okay. then zone 4A went up to like Brainerd. And then the top, maybe third of the state was zone three. 
So now, and in that map, the 2012 map, there was a tiny little squig down at the bottom by the Iowa border that was zone 5A. So in the newer map, we now have the Twin Cities, you know, the urban heat island is in, you know, is in zone 5A. And just for people's reference, I mean, zone 5A means your average lowest low is above minus 20. That's zone 5A. Zone 4B, which is a lot of the rest of the southern half of the state, well, a swath of the southern half. Zone 4B, your lowest low is down to minus 25. Now, it doesn't mean that if you live in the urban heat island, you aren't going to get a temperature below minus 20. It just means on average you won't. Because I keep we, my husband's a bit of a weather geek, so we have a wireless <laughs> weather station, and I monitor it when it's really cold. And so we've had temperatures in the minus twenty three, minus twenty four range, so below minus twenty, but obviously not for extended periods of time. And that's the thing in picking out plants: you want to go, you know, how many days in a row am I going to have below minus twenty, and right. how will the plant handle that? But in terms of other changes, so. Basically, the lowest half, the bottom half of Minnesota is now either zone 4B, the warm part of 4, or zone 5A. And the Twin Cities and then the southern, southwestern corner of the state are zone 5A. Zone 4A, the colder part of zone 4, has moved up all the way to Grand Rapids. So the Grand Rapids is now in zone four, never been in zone four before. Although if I were in Grand Rapids, I'd be careful. And then zone three, which was at one point like half the state, is now maybe a quarter, a little more than a quarter in the northernmost part of the states. That's zone 3B, the warm part of three. And there's just a few little dots of 3A, the cold part of three. And that 3A goes all the way down to minus 40, you know. And if you live in International Falls, which is where that zone 3A thing is, yeah, it gets really cold. I remember last year them talking about 40 below in, in International right. Falls. But so generally, everything's moved up a little bit. It's a little bit warmer. And then the Twin Cities have been sort of isolated as this pocket of warmth. So do they have, and I'm not asking you to act as an amateur climatologist here today, so if you can't answer, don't worry That's about it. But way past my pay grade, but okay. Do, yes. do they, is there any like attribution to why these changes, is it a climate change thing? Is it an increasing the heat island effect kind of thing? Like what, what is the general understanding as to what caused these changes or is it just better data? Well, the um, the Agriculture Research Service makes a point in its information about the new hardiness zones that this does not necessarily indicate global warming or, or climate change. It doesn't necessarily indicate that, but it does indicate, but there is just better data. And, you know, now, but if you've been gardening a long time, as I have, you know that weather has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And Mark Seeley, who is a state, the state climate, or was the state climatologist, I believe he's retired. I heard a talk from him a while ago, which had some great information in it, which is basically the difference in Minnesota in, as the climate changes is the highs are not getting that much higher. 
I mean, we had hot weather in the 30s and we've had hot weather. The highs Mm -hmm. aren't getting that much higher. The lows are getting higher. So we don't get as cold as we used to get. We're getting, but we get, you know, we still are hot, but we're not as cold as we used to be. And that's the big change, that and extreme weather events, which, you know, massive rainstorms, longer droughts, that kind of thing. Those are the things he's pointed out to, pointed out as kind of climate change. Right, exactly. The maps, the maps, like the USDA is careful to say, this does not say that it's just better. They say it's better data. And I'm sure it is. That's part of it. But maybe there's something else going on too. I believe that that is true. It was also interesting to me that they added, I read that they added a zones 12 and 13 to the maps that hadn't been there before. And a big part of the reasoning for doing that is so that people in our climates know when to, how to handle tropical plants and that kind of thing. Did you see anything? I didn't really understand that. I did see that. And I do, you know, but I I actually, you know, tropicals are not my biggest deal. So I didn't pay a lot of attention to that. (laughs) But yeah, you know, it is warm. I mean, there's more warm areas. If you get an, I I know some garden writers in Texas and Oklahoma, places like that. And I mean, they're facing longer droughts, longer heat waves, more heat. You know, that's, that's happening on their end. It's not really what affects us so much, but on their, you know, in the Southern parts of the country. Yeah. yeah. Right. So how do you think, Mary, this, so we have a focus, we push really hard to make sure to be planting native plants here in Minnesota. So Minnesota native plants, a lot like you've mm-hmm. talked about many, many times before and making sure that we're supporting local ecosystems. Does this change have any impact on that as to what we can or should grow here in Minnesota that, that has a greater ecological value to our neighborhoods and to our, our areas. Do you think that that changes at all with this map or where, where are we at today? Well, I mean, I do think you might, you know, generally in terms of, well, with, with the native plants, I think you're probably better off to stick with things that you know are native to our area or have been, have done, have thrived in our area and seem to, benefit to pollinators and other wildlife in our area, you know, but the, the, the native plants, I mean, you know, the indigenous peoples move plants around too. So plants have been moved around by people a long time. And so you may want to try some other maybe zone five-ish neighbor, you know, ones that are close to us, native plants and see if they work in your environment, see if they attract pollinators if they do what you think you want them to do. But I would generally be a little conservative about that. And there are some native plants, particularly those that require like a really cold temperature that are doing less well. And then you may want to try replacing that with something else if they're, if they're not doing as well. But I think you can stick with the natives that we have and stick with local nurseries that sell native plants for our area because they're going to have the ones that work best here. So I don't right. think you want to change that too much. My my hope is I'll be able to do better with northern sea oats. Like I've been, <laughs> it's supposed to be native to here and just south, but I've never been able to never been able to make it make them stick around in my yard. So that's that's my hope is that as we as we warm, that I'll be able to to make make northern sea oats work in my in my lawn. So well, Mary, we're bumping up against the end time here. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that? you would like to talk about with with the climate change, not the climate change, with the change in the USDA hardiness, hardiness maps? 
No, the only thing I'd like to tell people is, you know, make sure you're make sure you're monitoring the weather and you know the microclimate in your own yard. So I think when you buy tools, the first tools you should get are a trowel and a rain gauge. So you know exactly what you're getting in terms of rain. If you don't have a thermometer outside to monitor the temperatures in your yard, you maybe should get one or get a fancy weather station like my husband has if you want that. But you you should be monitoring the weather in your own yard and knowing how the plants in your own yard do. Because sometimes, and, the, and understand that the plant companies try really hard to get the hardiness information correct for for the plants that they're putting out but they're not perfect. And sometimes they're trying things in different areas of the country that are same zone as us. And other times, you know, so they're not 100% accurate. And then my mantra, as I repeat over and over, is don't buy a plant you can't afford to kill. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. Just don't buy anything you cannot kill. <laughs> right. That's absolutely great advice. So Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for being with us and sharing all your knowledge and wisdom about hardiness zones and make sure everyone to go to Instagram and follow Mary. It's it's my Northern Gardener on Instagram. What it's is my that the right? Northern Garden underscore Mary. Underscore Mary. So perfect. And I will put for the zone maps and all that kind of stuff. I'll have that in the show notes that everybody can find at uh, minnesotagardening.com as well as a link to the wonderful article and just different posts that Mary has put out about this and to the Grow Up Minnesota podcast. So thanks again, Mary, for being here. I really appreciate it and have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. See what I mean? I don't think I was uh, overstating it when I said that Mary is just amazing. It's just a gem of an episode. And I have a surprise for you as well. We are, not all of them probably, but starting to do video podcasts as well that you can find on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and search for Minnesota Gardening, you will find our YouTube channel and the starts of our podcast on YouTube, if that's a great way for you to consume our content and learn more about gardening happy to have you there like i said it's not going to be all of them but we're trying to do most of them now on the uh video so with that i also want to let you know that this week if you're listening to this when it's released this week is the last week that you can join minnesota gardening club for only 47 dollars. and so minnesota gardening club is just uh, also a gem. I think it's more of a hidden gem. Would love to have a lot more folks in there as well because it's just a wonderful community of gardeners. And so it has an introductory course called Foundations that helps you learn exactly how in our climate to reduce your chemical use, to reduce your water use, and most importantly, to promote the health and well-being of native plants, pollinators, native bees, birds, help the songbird populations. Really, really important that we do this together and in minnesota gardening club we focus on three different things one is sustainable lawn care so how you can sustain your lawn and, and manage your lawn maintain your lawn without being a negative impact on the local ecosystem two is landscape so teach everybody about shrubs and trees and what native plants to plant here in minnesota and how to take care of them and then thirdly is food gardening so we take you through the entire year on food gardening and help folks so you can get that if you go to our brand new 
You can go either to our minnesotagardening.shop is our brand new shop where you can buy a gift account for one of your friends, or you can go get a recurring subscription at minnesotagardeningclub.com. So those are your two things that I would love to have your support for just $47. If you're listening to this when it goes live, you just have a couple days left to get it at only $47, and you can do that at minnesotagardeningclub.com. Thanks a lot, my friend. I hope to see you on YouTube. And I'll hear you again next week. Thank you.